good morning 2021 so we've turned the leaf this year and I trust that as we've done so you've taken some time to kind of think through what God has for you in this coming year and just the the goals spiritually that you're setting before your own heart is something that I enjoy doing each year I don't know that I always accomplish them but it's always a good fresh perspective for my own soul it, uh, I feel a little bit like a bird up here with people on the wings. You kind of have to do a lot of spanning around. We're glad to have you this morning. I know we missed some of you last week because we didn't get the information that we were going to just the one gathering on a, I shouldn't say permanent, but until further notice basis. Uh, so we're glad that we have you back today, and our apologies if we missed uh, getting you in here last week. If you would open up your bulletins, just a few things to draw to your attention. We recognize as this COVID continues to spread, even amidst the, the hope of the vaccine and the various dynamics regarding that, we feel that it's so critical to continue gathering together. We have appreciated just the dynamic of being back together into one uh, time slot. Our people have appreciated that. We've tried to orient the seating to give more distance, to be able to bring more people in in a safe type of way. Uh, we've had our building commercially treated uh, on three occasions at least over the last um, several weeks just to make sure that we're free of anything that comes into the building. And so uh, we're doing all that we can. We do very much appreciate you wearing your mask. I know that that's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to try to sing and breathe and all those sort of things. But it does maintain an area of safety, and we appreciate that very, very much of you uh, practicing that along with us. Just a couple of items that are not in the bulletin. You'll notice here in the back out by the double doors by the sound booth, there are several poinsettias that were left over this year. It was kind of an odd time of people trying to get in. The Christmas Eve service uh, was canceled because of snow. Many people would pick them up at that time. If you would like one of those, please take them. Normally, we take them into a care facility. Uh, we're unable to do that this year, so anything not taken will just be disposed of. So if you would enjoy having one in your home, uh, there are several back there. Just feel free to take one with you as you leave today. Anything not taken today, again, will be disposed of. So uh, if you would like one of those, please take it with you. Wednesday evening, uh, we're having another ministry update. That'll be at 7 o'clock, live stream only. Uh, we are interviewing Chris Wilson. Chris pastors down at Salt Peter Church in Fort Gay, Louisa, Kentucky area. Uh, a good brother, a very, it's an interesting, interesting man doing a good work down there. Uh, Pastor Jason was just down there, recently spoke in a conference uh, Becky and I have had the privilege to be down there and to do some speaking as well. Uh, just a good brother. You will enjoy meeting him, so make sure you tune in this Wednesday evening. I'll also be updating you on our missionaries, what's going on there, and some of the folks that are battling cancer in our church, some updates and how we can best pray for them moving forward. And so please join us on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Ladies, make note of the upcoming Ladies Bible Study that begins toward the end of the month. Uh, please make sure you see the details and connect with that. Uh, you can see Ginger after the service this morning if you have any questions. 
We are going to be setting forth uh, several different reading plans for the Bible, but the one that we are going to be publishing for our church family throughout this calendar year is the one where you just read consecutively through the scriptures, uh, beginning, of course, in Genesis. And so we'll have that listed in the bulletin each week on the back table, the ministry table. Uh, please note that there are uh, guides back there if you would like to pick one of those up. Randolph Street, the uh, kid's time continues to be a real source of pleasure and enjoyment to my own heart. I was asking Ashley this morning if she was teaching Abraham to keep time with his tongue. If you watch it this morning, that dog is just kind of beating out the time with his tongue as she is singing this morning. If not, you'll have to go back and check that out. But everyone's doing such a good job. Parents, thank you for your kind attention and reviewing the questions. That's been a lot of fun each week to see that. And uh, so tune in to that. An opportunity, really, for you to let your neighbors know about that. If you have children that are connected with your kids that you think might like that, it's a great opportunity to expose them if they're unbelievers to the gospel. Uh, if they're believers, it's an opportunity for them to be able to connect to a catechism, which is something new for a lot of people. So please take time to do that, if you would, please. All right. Let's take just a moment to kind of orient our minds and our hearts toward the worship of our great God, to focus on him. The scriptures speak about delighting in the Lord, to look into his word and to allow the word to inform us. That's what we seek to do here. So let God's word inform your hearts this morning. Take some time and pause and look to the Lord. stand with me our father as we come in to your presence in a very unique way as your people this morning you tell us that where two or three are gathered together there you are in the midst of them and the vision that the apostle John saw of the seven churches it was evident there that you were walking in the midst of your people Lord, that is a mystery to us and yet a reality that we embrace, that we acknowledge that you are here present with us. I pray, Lord, that that thought would invade our minds so distinctly that as we sing, as we worship, as we engage in the reading of the word, the listening to the ministry of the word being preached, but Lord God, we would acknowledge that we do all these things in your sight, in your presence. Might it elevate our own thoughts of you, and Lord, might it cause our hearts to worship you in such genuine ways. 
I pray, Father, as we move into another year, coming out of a year of just many things that we would have never thought of a year ago now, but, Lord, that we would move in with confidence in your word, looking to you to help us, to guide us, to give us wisdom, to give us strength, to sustain us. Oh, God, might our hearts be burdened to share the gospel of Christ with others. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to experience growth spiritually, that we would experience growth as a body. I pray, Lord, that your hand would continue to rest upon our people until we are able to all gather back together again. I pray for those who are listening online today, Lord, might they sense your presence there in their own home. Oh, God, we look to you, we cry out to you, we acknowledge our dependence upon you. Lord, stir our hearts to give you the worship that is due your name. In Christ we pray, amen. Let's allow the word of God to call our hearts as we read responsibly through Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Wait. 
Oh, 
please lend your ears to the reading of God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to the Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that, that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they, they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that when it was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was blessed who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through, his, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Please stand and sing. Oh, 
This is awkward. I pulled my mask off and ripped my mic apart. Thank you so much for your singing this morning. That's why I pulled my mask off. I was caught up in your singing. Thank you for how you gather in this space and with mask on. Let your voices be lifted up to our glorious God. I remember when we found that song, we will just know this, we will never read Ephesians 1 without singing that song, okay? I remember when we found that song a number of years ago, and it just set our souls before our God with this consuming zeal of this is why we exist, to the praise of his glorious grace. And I just deeply, deeply appreciate how you sing the songs we sing around here at Randolph Street. Take your Bibles and open with me to Romans chapter 8. Today is, I believe, the fourth part of our Doctrine Matters series. We began in October with Dr. Stephen Wellam as he walked us through the doctrine of the Trinity. I then preached through the doctrine of election in November. Pastor Tim, at the end of November, preached through the doctrine of hell. And today I 
will put before our church family the doctrine of providence. And I'm going to explain why this truth for this time in just a moment. And this is the primary text, really one verse. But this is the primary text that I'm praying that will not only capture for us 2020, but will be pressed over us for 2021. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse number 18. Let's now hear together the word of our Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation, creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we come now to this most holy moment, when your people open your word, and through the work of your spirit, seek to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. This is a most holy moment for your people. So those who are sitting in this room, those who are joining us online, oh God, would you now use your word for your purpose in our lives? For those in this room, home, who are Christians, who, whose hope only in Christ, in Christ alone, would you now form and shape us more into the image of Christ? Shave off those areas in our hearts that are disobedient to your holy law. Grow in us fruitfulness, desires, and right and holy affections for you and for your glory through your word. If there are any joining us here or online who are not believers in Christ, God, would you be pleased this morning to use your word to open their eyes to see that hope is found only in Christ. That they will turn from their sins this morning. The quietness of their seats are in their home, confessing before you their wrongdoings. 
and placing their faith in Christ and Christ alone. All of that to say, Father, to you, this is your word. Please, oh God, do your work. Bless your people now. I pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Divine, bold I approach the 
my brother for serving us this morning there are a few songs ever written in the history of the church that has language like that song that little section of the song my chains fell off my heart went free if you're a Christian here this morning and you've experienced the grace of the spirit of God awakening your soul when you hear that kind of language I trust your hearts are lifted up in praise to your Good and gracious, gracious God this morning. Well, Bible's open, doctrine matters. These last number of months, we have tried to put before you exposition through the book of Philippians and sprinkled into that at the first Sunday of every month, theology or doctrine. And I trust this has been a good diet for us together as a church. I'm looking forward to this coming year and just continuing this, this process, this, this, this track we have been on as we, we hear these truths and yet we're in the book of Philippians. I, I trust that 2021, these merging together of our Doctrine Matter series and Philippians will serve your soul well. A year ago today, January the 5th, I stood in this pulpit and preached a series, a, a one-part series, I guess you can call that a series, on the doctrine of sanctification. The previous Sunday, to get my series in, was the doctrine of assurance. My goal that Sunday was to put before you our membership here at Randolph Street. As we walked into 2020 together, the work that God is actively engaged in in our souls, the, the doctrine of sanctification, so that as we approached 2020, whatever it would bring before us, we would have tucked into our hearts that God is working in us and he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. I had no idea what 2020 would hold for us when I preached that sermon. Life was so different when I preached January the 5th last year. It's almost hard to remember. 2020 was, for our church family, as difficult as any year in my pastoral ministry, and I think Tim would affirm that same reality. The difficulties of 2020 began before I preached that sermon on January the 5th because two days before, one year ago today, January the 3rd, we lost little Peyton King as she went to be with the Lord. A few weeks later, we lost Dana Spence, our staff member at Hope for Appalachia who so deeply loved his God and served those who were hurting we lost him suddenly and unexpectedly. 
As we marched into 2020, members of our church family began battling cancer early on. Some are still in that long, hard fight. COVID walked in our doors. We lost two of our longstanding members, Hazel and Donna. Our members lost jobs. Some of you have battled deep emotional and mental health struggles. And I could add in a thousand other things that happened in 2020, and even, even stretching back into mid-2019. And then we finished our year by losing a faithful, faithful elder here at Randolph Street way, way too early. I had no idea what 2020 held when I stood in this pulpit on January the 5th and preached that sermon on the doctrine of sanctification. So as a way to end 2020 and begin 2021, the truth I want you to hear this morning is that God is actively, purposely, sovereignly working in our lives and he is doing so to bring everything together for our good. And when you hear that truth this morning, the doctrine of providence, I want to call you, our hearts, our minds, our faith, to find assurance and rest in our God, the work that he's doing. Here's your outline this morning before we get into this series, before we get into this sermon on the doctrine of providence. There's four parts to this sermon. First, we're going to do some definition work. We've been trying to do that with each of these Doctrine Matters sermon series. So we're, we're going to kind of dig in, do some definition work. You, you'll want to have your bulletin handy for that part of the sermon. Now, I'll, I'll tell you why in just a moment. Two, I hope you're reading the Bible this year. I, I really want to challenge you members here at Randolph Street especially, read your Bible this year. Listen to your Bible this year. Whatever plan you find, go after it daily. Let the Word of God shape your heart. So what I'm going to do with the second point of this sermon is I'm going to talk about the Bible and providence, kind of this quick survey of the Scriptures and how we see the providence of God in the Bible. I'm going to do that so that as you read your Bible this year, you will see Firsthand, and I think often and repeatedly, you will see the providential, sovereign work of God in every sphere of life. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be an insufficient overview is what I'm going to do. Thirdly, we're going to come to the text that I want to wave as kind of the banner over 2021 and over 2020 likewise, and look at the promise of providence in Romans 8.28. And finally, fourth, I'm going to connect the doctrine of providence to the Lord's table. It is, it is an obvious connection in Romans chapter 8. So let's talk about definition. And I would encourage you to have pen and paper in hand and, and think this through with me for the next few moments. If you grab your bulletins and open them up on the far right-hand panel of your bulletin as you open it up, you're going to see I placed in there this week for you the Heidelberg Catechism. Some of you may not be familiar with confessions and catechism 
of the church. Historically, the church has not only sought to understand the Bible, but they've, they've taken their understanding of the Bible and placed it in language and defined it and summarized it. That's, that's what the Heidelberg Catechism is. It is looking at the Bible and taking out truths such as the doctrine of providence or the doctrine of God, and, and you, you know all the various doctrines, and, and it's kind of summarizing the Bible in our language for us. Personally, the, doc, the, the Heidelberg Catechism is as helpful as any catechism. Listen to their explanation of, and you can look at it with your own eyes, our understanding of the providence of God. Here's the answer. The almighty and ever-present power of God, this is how they understand providence, by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them, governs them, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. You hear that? Drink, food, meat, health, sickness, riches, poverty, all things, not by chance, not random, by God. It's the doctrine of providence. I'll come back to that more in just a few moments. The Belgian Confession will come along beside this, written in a similar time to so one of the one of the three forms of unity in the historically reformed church says this about providence. We believe that this good God, after creating all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in the world without God's orderly arrangement. So as the church historically has looked up on the scriptures, they've, they've pulled out this idea of the doctrine of providence, that God now, in time, in space, in history, is working out his eternal decrees. I mean, the language of the Belgian Confession is so helpful, and you heard some common themes there. That God, after creating all things, did not abandon his creation. He did not step away from his creation. He does not passively observe his creation. But instead, God steps into time and space and history, and he leads and governs all things. And he does so according to his holy will. And like the Heidelberg, the Belgic comes along to affirm for us that this is the teaching of the Bible. All things, excluding nothing, all things happen in this world according to God's orderly arrangement. I want that truth all over 2020. Let me summarize some more. Providence is the outworking of God's pre-creation eternal decrees. So God is involved now in history. He brings to pass his purpose in all things. 
The doctrine of providence ensures us, the readers of the Bible, the doctrine of providence ensures us that every atom, every molecule, every moment, every breath is moving toward God's glorious and eternal purpose. Providence is the teaching that God in time, in space, in history is working to sovereignly accomplish his purpose and ultimate goal for all things. This is... This is a verse I'm going to hang my hat on, Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, it was read earlier by Rick, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And then here's a little summary that kind of is a canopy of the whole Bible now. Everything we read in the Bible falls under this canopy, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So everything I read in the Bible in 2020... Everything I see is the outworking of God's counsel and will. Everything. So to reaffirm, God is present and working within creation, within history, time and space. He is not absent. He is not, as some would say, a passive observer or an uncaring, disconnected deity. That is not God. God is sovereign in this working out of his purposes. He is not impotent or weak or helpless. Some would ascribe that to God. God is in the heavens today, and he does whatever he pleases. You can spurn or ignore sovereign providence, if you will, but it doesn't negate that God is sovereign, and he is directing everything according to his eternal purpose in time. That's providence. Everything excludes nothing, misses nothing. Every atom, every molecule, every breath, every life, every circumstance, everything falls under the canopy of the sovereign providence of God. That's right. Let's do a quick run through the Bible before I move off the definition three books to recommend to you outside of reading your Bible this year. Okay, that's first. You read the Bible, you're going to see everything I just said. Everything. You're going to see it in different language, different ways, different, you're going to get into history, into narrative, and you're going to see this work itself out in history and in narrative. You're going to read the, you're going to read the book of Esther, and you're going to walk away and say, Providence. You're going to read the life of Job. You're going to walk away and say, Providence. You're going to read Joseph, and you're going to walk away and say, Providence. You're going to read about Nebuchadnezzar, and you're going to say, Providence. You're going to see Daniel in a, in a den with lions. You're going to say, Providence. You're going to see David and Goliath, and you're going to say, it's going to be everywhere, Providence. But as you read your Bible, here's three books to recommend to you. One is by one of my favorite Puritans, John Flavel, The Mystery of Providence. I've not read it in its entirety, which is sad that I'm recommending it to you, but... I've scanned through it and read sections, incredibly helpful, especially application at the end. Two, Thomas Watson, All Things for Good, little sermon, little Puritan paperback series, have read it, 
Watson writes, you read it. It's just my recommendation, always about Thomas Watson. Lastly, a book that's on its way, not here yet, 700 plus pages, John Piper, entitled Providence. Let's talk about the Bible and providence for just a moment. This is going to be, again, a very quick overview that will be insufficient, not exhaustive by any measure, and I trust you'll fill it in more so in your own thinking and reading. The entire narrative of the Bible, as you step into it this year and read through it, is framed by sovereign influence and control that God expresses over all things. Okay, so when you step into your Bible this year, hopefully you've already done that. If you're not there yet, you've only got two days to make up, so get busy this afternoon. When you step into your Bible, the Bible puts before you the main character. And when the Bible puts before you the main character, I think the feel of that as the Bible begins to unfold is this main character is going to have his way. In the beginning, God created all things, heaven and earth. God is engaged. God is the one now who is set forth as the primary character of the unfolding story of the Bible. And it's going to be framed by his sovereign influence and control over all things. So, when you read the Bible this year, creation and the natural order are going to be viewed as under the providential hand of God. From the mouths of lions to the falling of a sparrow, every sparrow, every bird, all are viewed as under the providential power of God. God in the natural order accomplishes all of his purposes. Nothing escapes his providential Control and influence, floods and fire and storms and wind and other varying disasters fall under this providential, sovereign influence of God. I mentioned Job a few moments ago. Job recognized the providential hand of God. Chapter 1, the Sabaeans come upon his land, these violent, marauding criminals. They kill some of his servants. Fire devours from heaven, devours his sheep and some more of his servants. Chaldeans rob him of his camels and they kill more of his servants. And finally, a wind sweeps through the wilderness and collapses a home, killing the sons and daughters of Job. Job's reply, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He did not view God as absent or unengaged or impotent in these moments of his life. He viewed God as sovereignly active over all things that were happening to him in that moment. From the Sabaeans to the Chaldeans, from the fire to the wind, Job looks up on that and he frames this moment of his life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. God actively engaged in the moment. Providence. Psalm 148, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist. Listen to this stormy, listen to this in light of Job, stormy wind fulfilling his purpose. It was on a random wind that just swept through the wilderness. The, the writer of this psalm looks at that and said, the stormy winds, they fulfill the purposes of God, his sovereign providential influence over all things. As you read the Bible this year, you will see that the nations are under the sovereign providence of God. They rise and they fall according to the counsel of God. All are under his power. 
Kings will rise up and kings will be deposed, all under the hand of God. They make decisions and decrees all according to God's providential purposes. He hardens the hearts of emperors and causes a mighty king to graze in the field as a beast, always moving in creation for his purposes and for his glory. The writer of Proverbs will tell us, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. God influencing nations and kings and moving all things according to his purpose. As you read the Bible this year, you will see that God is providentially powerful over Satan and his demons, the wicked and their ways. They are always serving his purposes. You hear that? They are always serving his purposes. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose even the wicked for the day of trouble. That's truth we have to swallow. You remember the narrative of Joseph? His brothers, out of a rage of jealousy, sell him into slavery, into Egypt. They lie to their father. You'll be there in just a few weeks. Joseph is sold. He's displaced, taken away. Years later, you know how a little narrative. I won't say any more because it'll ruin the whole story for you. But when Joseph reads Providence backwards, one Puritan said, Providence is like the Hebrew language. You got to read it backwards. When Joseph looks up on that scene for himself, he says to them, his brothers, you meant it for evil. In other words, everything you did, it was evil. And you meant it for evil. You, you conspired against me. You lied to our father. You sold me into slavery. All that is real. You did that. You meant it for evil. And then over that, he says, but God meant it for good. In other words, he, he was expressing to his brothers, hey, yes, you conspired. Yes, you did all these things, but over you was God. His sovereign providential influence was over the wickedness of your hearts. And in the wickedness of your hearts, God accomplished his purpose. Trouble and calamity. When you read your Bible this year, disasters and catastrophes all under the providential hand of God. Amos chapter 3, verse number 6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The blind, the deaf, the mute all under the providential hand of God. Exodus chapter 4, God says, who has made men's mouth, who makes him mute. You hear this? Actively engaged, who makes him mute, who makes him deaf or seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? As you read the Bible this year, you're going to come face to face with the reality that God used the ultimate sin the crucifying of Jesus to accomplish his purpose. Acts chapter 4. Peter would say, Truly in this city you were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. This sounds like Genesis 50 in some ways. You gathered together and you were against the holy servant Jesus. And whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. It's a sweeping indictment. All of you were against Jesus. Religious leaders, 
government officials, Jews, Gentiles, you're all against Jesus in this moment. And then behind all of that and over all of that, Peter says this, you gather together to do whatever your hand and your plan, speaking about God, had predestined to take place. They gathered against Jesus, the Jewish leaders, the Gentile leaders. They all conspired against Jesus. And then Peter stands over all that and says, you were doing whatever God predestined to take place. In other words, the providential hand of God was actively engaged in this moment. That's an insufficient overview of providence as you read the Bible this year. Here's what you're going to see as you read through your Bible, that providence which I'm convinced is on every page, is unstoppable. The providential influence of God in time, in history, in space is unstoppable. So, so two texts to throw before you. Isaiah chapter 46, a text we love here at Randolph Street. This is God speaking. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. All right, there it is. Here's his eternal counsel. He, he, he cast out the end from the beginning. He stands here. He cast it all out, eternal counsel, and now providence, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all of my purpose. So he, he ordains it. He decrees it. But now he's committed to accomplishing it in time, in space, in history. That is the providential hand of God. No one will stand against his purpose. It will stand. Daniel chapter 4, I mentioned a moment ago, his sovereign influence over kings and emperors. One was sent to the field like a wild beast, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar would say this, at the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praise and honor him who lives forever. Now listen to what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. Nebuchadnezzar knew that. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Hear that? He does according to his will, his sovereign decree, eternal purpose. He does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth. And then Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar he concludes this, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This providential, sovereign influence that God works his will out in time, in space, in history is unstoppable and it will come to pass. This is why the biblical writers say things like this. Come now, you who say, tomorrow or today we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you admit you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say this, if the Lord lives, we will live and do this or that. You hear that? This is, this is the biblical writer saying, hey, I'm recognizing this truth, this reality, that God is sovereign and he's working out his purpose. So, so therefore, as I make plans, as I look forward in life, and, and I, I strategize about what my life holds, I, I place over that this truth. If the Lord wills, 
I will live. If the Lord wills, I will do. Why do we say that? Because his purpose will stand. Paul would agree with the pagans in Acts 17 when he would say, in him we live and move and have our being. God preserves, God governs. His sovereignty is on display in every atom and every being. He is accomplishing his purposes. Providence, when you read your Bible this year, you will see this page after page after page. Let this color your whole reading this year that God is working out his eternal degrees in history, in time, in space, and it is unstoppable. Now, Romans 8. Here's our verse that I want to press over 2020 and over 2021. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. It's a text that we are all really, really familiar with here at Randolph Street. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Ironically, on January the 5th of 2020, I preached out of Romans 8 also. Not this text, but the next verses. And here we find ourselves again. In Romans 8, 28 is maybe the clearest expression of providence. This promise of providence in Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for good, is sandwiched, which I'm going to come back to in just a moment, is sandwiched by two qualifiers. The qualifiers are not my point this morning, so I'm going to make a quick passing comment about them. But notice with me, this promise is held out. God is working all things together for good, but this promise is held out for those who love God and those who called according to his purpose. I like this promise. This is a, this is a great promise. Especially in the rearview mirror, I look and see 2020, and then I hear this in my ear God works all things together for good. I like this promise. But this promise is only given to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Here's my interpretation of those two qualifiers those who love God, I'm going to bring them together have been called according to his purpose. In other words, loving God is evidence of God's inward, effectual, sovereign call whereby, this is what, we were, this is what Sean was singing about a moment ago, whereby he has awakened us from our spiritual darkness and given, those, given us life. Those whom God calls are the ones who love God. So there's no meriting of this promise. Don't, don't read this and say, mm, if I just love God more, then God will be working all things together for my good. Don't read it like that. Instead, read it like this. I love God because, and this is what Romans 8 and 29 and 30 and others are going to teach us, I love God because God has called me. God has awakened my heart. He's given me life. I've moved from spiritual darkness to glorious life and light. 
And now because he has done that work in me, I love God. So this promise of providence, I work all things together for your good, is not built on your merit. It stands on God's grace in your life. And it's to that people this assurance belongs. Now, let me step out of that for a second. If you're not a believer in Christ in this room or joining us online this morning, this promise is not for you. Don't be offended by what I just said. But I hope my prayer this morning would be that God would use what I just said, what, what the Bible says, to cause you to consider your life, to consider eternity, to consider God, and let this promise be a means to stimulate your heart and I, by the work of the Spirit to stimulate your heart to say, hey, the only hope in life or in death is Christ. It's Christ. And we're going to come to that in just a moment. So just hang tight. If you're not a believer, hang tight. We'll come back to that at the end. Now let's look into this promise a little bit in Romans 8, 28. Now notice a few things with me. Number one, Paul is certain of this promise of providence. Look at what he says at the beginning. We know Paul's not waffling here. This isn't guesswork for Paul. He's not struggling to, to connect dots. Paul looks at the evidence of the Scriptures, inspired here by the Holy Spirit. We know this to be true. I think Paul says that for a variety of reasons. One, to build your confidence as a reader, but also he knows what your eyes see. Our eyes look up on this world and we see chaos, and we see randomness, and it poses questions in our heart that are not wrong necessarily because we see suffering around us, and we've got profound questions. Why? What is happening? Paul knows you see that with your eyes, so he wants to fight against that. As a matter of fact, this just caught me a moment ago. You probably heard me pause. Verse 24, hope that is seen is not hope who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. He, he, he notes this for us. Listen, what our eyes see is not our hope. This isn't the end. There's something greater and more glorious taking place. And Paul, Paul wants to push that into your hearts this morning. We know this to be true. We are confident of this. I am assured of this. God's working all things together for your good. All right, there's two sides of this promise. All things I want to look out and good. There's the two sides. Well, I think just with our overview a moment ago, you know how I'm going to interpret all things. All things includes all things. There are times in the Bible where the word all does not mean all as in everyone or everything. In this instance, it's all things. But there is a particular focus in this text. And this is what surprised me when I preached through this text in 2000 and maybe 14. This all things has a particular emphasis in it. Go back, if you will, to verse number 18 of chapter 8. This is, this is why I read the whole of the passage a moment ago. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so, so Paul's living in time, in life, and Paul, probably better than most of us in this room, understands the difficulties of this present world. Paul has experienced sufferings. 
I won't chronicle everything Paul experienced, but you, you're a reader of the Bible. You know the adversity that Paul continually faced, eventually to be martyred for the faith. Paul looks at this promise through the lens of suffering. Okay, so this isn't some disconnected professor. This is a man who knew what life in a hard, fallen world was like, just like you do. And Paul looks at these sufferings in this present time, and he says, God works all things together for good. He's not rosy-lensed Paul. Paul is a realist. He knows suffering, and in that, Paul says, all things together for good. Look at verse 26. It's not just Paul's suffering, it's his weakness. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then he goes through this little series in 26 and 27. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes. And, but this is the other side of that. Paul's talking about all things working together for good, and he's talking specifically in this context about suffering and our weaknesses. That has breathtaking implications for us. So, Everything, all things, nothing excluded, no matter how ugly, how painful, how hurtful, all things, your weaknesses, your suffering, your temptations, your struggles, your broken relationships, your frailties, your losses, your emotional difficulties, your physical struggles, your temptations, your weaknesses, and even your sins. God stands over all of that and says, I will work them for your good. Nothing escapes him. Nothing hides from him, nothing is above him, nothing surprises our God. He is the divine weaver of our lives. He is the potter that is forming and shaping in every curve and every side for our good. John Stott says this about this text. All the negative in this life, which he's capturing there because Paul's talking about suffering and weakness. All the negatives of our lives is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of God's eternal plan. Let that rest on 2020. All the negative of our lives is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of God's eternal plan. Nothing is beyond the overruling, overriding scope of God's providence. Nothing. I love living life in that truth. I don't understand it, and I can't see it fully in this life. But the doctrine of providence is life-giving to me. Calvin would say about the doctrine of providence, ignorance of providence is the ultimate of all miseries. Christian, don't live there. This is why I'm pushing this sermon as you begin reading through your Bible, this doctrine. Don't live in ignorance of providence. As Calvin says, it's the ultimate of all miseries, thinking this life and everything that's unfolding in our lives is by random chance. He says, the highest blessedness lies in the knowledge of it, the knowledge of providence. Why? Because the knowledge of this doctrine calls our hearts to rest and to have confidence. Yes, we will hurt, and yes, we will suffer, and yes, we will cry tears, but in the midst of all of that pain, this truth calls us to have assurance and to rest that God is at work 
Now, there's a reason providence is joyful. This truth is comforting. You see, if this was some random deity out there, disconnected from us and unconcerned about us, doing this work, like, like, a, like this sovereign chess player in the heavens, moving all the pieces in the right spots to accomplish this, but uncaring. If that was the doctrine of providence, I'm, it's hopeless. That's not the doctrine of providence. Don't, don't hear that and don't see that. The reason this truth is so comforting is because what Paul speaks of in verse number 15, go back in Romans 8, he writes, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. You see, the, the doctrine of providence is not about some random deity disconnected from our lives, moving around all of the puzzle pieces. The doctrine of providence is about a heavenly father with his children, his sons and daughters, purchased by the blood of his son, that God is engaged in our lives. He is our Father. That's why providence is so comforting. This is my perfect, heavenly, all-wise, all-knowing, all-sovereign Father, seated in the heavens, working in my life, all things together for my good. This isn't some neighbor out there. This is my Father. Believers and unbelievers experience pain in this life. No one misses that. But the promise for God's children, from a father to his blood-bought sons and daughters, everything, I'm working for your good. Everything. I stood, sat, Virginia Beach in 2004. I'll never forget this as long as I live. Sorry, Tim and Becky, to bring this up. I warned Tim. I didn't warn you, Becky. And my brother stood in front of the casket of his daughter, and the first words that came out of his mouth was, God is good. I know he was gritting his teeth. I stood in Cain. Pennsylvania on Monday and I watched Julia say at the gravesite God is sovereign God is good how where is that confidence born from well ultimately it's this radical work of grace in our hearts that assures us this is our good heavenly father and he knows and he works and he's sovereign so the question of this text that should be pressing into you a little bit I hope is what is good what does Paul mean when he talks about good 
I mean, when I, when I go back and survey the last 18 months of the life of Randolph Street, going back really to August of, and, and even before that, but when I go back and look at these last 18 months, I've got that question, what is good about this? You say you're doing good, what is good? Well, before I answer the question, what is good, let me affirm what is not good. This is a material good that the Father's promising to you in your suffering. He's not lending out to you convenience or comfort necessarily in worldly interest. That's Cranfield in his commentary. Good, I think, is that God uses each circumstance, every moment of our lives, to work in us his purpose, to shape our lives for his glory, to conform us to his son, to draw us closer to him, to cause our hearts to trust him, to bring forth fruit in our lives for the kingdom, and to prepare us for the weight of glory that is to be revealed to us on that day. That's the good. This truth of providence teaches us that our lives, they're not a series of snapshots to God but it's one full piece of divine artwork where he takes every moment and every circumstance and every difficulty to work in our lives an eternal good in bringing us to himself. The problem of providence, I've already noted. I can say those words in this pulpit, but it is so hard for us to see it in this life. often impossible. John Flavel, Flavel in his book, Keeping the Heart, wrote this, we are clouded with much ignorance, he's speaking of providence, and are not able to discern how particular providence tend to fulfill, tend to the fulfillment of God's designs. That's the, the challenge of providence. God is out there saying, hey, I'm working all things together for your good. And I think this is what good is. He's, he's drawing us to himself. We're beholding his glory. We're seeing the, 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 the unbelievable glory of God in our lives. He's working all these things and he's bringing that together for our good. The problem is in the moment, in the suffering, in the pain, it's hard for us to see that. We know it. That's why the doctrine of providence calls us as much as any truth in the word of God to faith in our heavenly father. To trust him in our tears to believe him in our pain, that indeed every experience of our lives is working out for our eternal good. On that day, I'm convinced we will have eyes that'll see. And I can't wait for that. I think we'll finally have eyes to see. And I think we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to look back over history and we're going to see how God orchestrated everything in our lives for his glory and for our good. How he took all the messy and all the ugly and all the painful and he formed it like a potter. He formed it for our good and for his glory. The pain, the tears, all of that for our good and for his glory. I think there's going to come that day when we will stand before our Father and we will have eyes where we will see providence. And I have to live in that truth. 
This promise in Romans 8, 28 is not for those who have a full understanding of all the details and the whys of our lives. It is a promise we raise over our hearts and our minds and our anxieties and our fears in order to bolster our confidence in God and cause our hearts to persevere in faith, knowing that indeed every breath I take, every beat of my heart, every circumstance of my life, God is present, he's engaged, and he's working and bringing to pass his eternal counsel, and it is for my good. Now, here's my connection to the table. You think about the Lord's table, you probably don't think about providence. My connection is born out of a question. How do I know? How do I know? I want evidence. How do I know God is committed to my good? I mean, I love this truth. I love providence. I can't wait to read Piper's book coming out on I love this truth. I want to live my life there and saturate my mind and my souls and my fears and my anxieties with this truth. But how do I know God's working for my good? Well, Paul doesn't miss that question. Look over at chapter 8, verse 31. A series of questions that he puts before us. This is the most compelling evidence. John Murray called it conclusive proof that God is working in your lives for your good. Here it is. You want to know that God's doing this? Here is the most clear evidence the inspired writer can put before you. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here it is. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There it is. There's a connection. If God did not spare his own son out of love for you, that's the point of this text, right? It's the point of the question. If God did not spare his own son out of love for you, how in the world would we ever think that God is not for us? right? It's a logical conclusion. God did not spare his son. Why did not God not spare his son? Because of you, his love for you, his elect children. He did not spare Christ of his sufferings. Why? For you is conclusive evidence. God is for us. God is graciously going to give us all things. The ground I stand on that says to me, Providence, God's work is for my good. The ground I stand on is the cross. God's love for me, the ultimate evidence of it is found upon the cross. And I know, as I gaze there, Every moment, every breath, every circumstance, God is for me. So, as the old saying goes, come hell or hot water, come suffering or pain, come cancer or some unimaginable loss, I can look to the cross and I can affirm in my soul, God is for me. Brothers and sisters, as we walk out of 2020, one of the humanly speaking, worst years of the 97 plus years of history here at Randolph Street. 
I can also look back on 2020 and look forward to 2021 and whatever days the Lord places before us. And I can, because of the cross, I can look at this and I can say, okay, God is there and he's sovereign, he's present, he's active. He's bringing to pass these eternal decrees that he has set forth in eternity past. And I know he's doing that. How do I know it? Because of Jesus. He didn't spare his son. He gave him up for us. So when you come to the tables this morning and you pick up this cup and this bread and you hear one of our elders through their mask mumble, this is his body, this is his blood. Let's do this this morning. I don't want to press into you what you should be thinking about, but just a little influence if I could. How about you walk up here to this table and you get that cup and you get that bread and just let this truth rise up in your heart and say, just affirming faith this morning, God is for me. God is for me. Right here is the evidence of that. Amen? Elders and deacons, please find your way to the table. This is, a, I think, our first Sunday serving the Lord's table with this rearranged seating. Our deacons are going to do the best to get you up here. Just find a way. Weave in between chairs, jump over them, whatever you need to do, just find a way. Okay, eventually you'll make it here. If you're a believer in Christ, we invite you to come, regardless of church membership. If you, your hope is in Jesus, this table is for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, we want you to sit and listen, to observe here. Our prayer is that to see this visible expression of the gospel would be a means that the Spirit of God would use to awaken your soul to Christ this morning. But believers, come freely this day. Come and partake and be reminded his blood and his body, they were given and they were given for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we conclude this short overview of the doctrine of providence, I would pray for your church here this day and online, those joining us, that over all the difficulties and pain and struggles and strife, tears and heartache of 2020 and before, this truth would rise up into our hearts and we would know that every detail, every moment, every breath, exhaustively, every sphere of our life, you, our Heavenly Father, are working in the lives of your sons and your daughters for our good. Lord, I look forward to that day that this table is pointing us to when we will gather at that glorious feast and maybe there, Maybe that's the moment when we will have eyes that will see how you have worked and moved and weaved and shaped us for your glory through tears and pain. Our confidence rests in you today, O oh God. You are our Father. We are your children. Lord Jesus, 
this day as you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Your church gathers. And we remember your death. Be pleased this morning as you walk among us to call us to yourself to renew our hope in you, your death and resurrection. Strengthen your people with the gospel this day. Thank you for our time. Bless now as we prepare to partake. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Deacons, you can begin dismissing, please.
deeply helpful truth it is to rest upon our souls as we walk with the Lord each day. What a glorious, glorious truth it is as well as we come to this table today, recognizing God's eternal love for us, his care for us in the midst of his providence in our lives. The Apostle Paul would impress upon the church at Corinth what we impress upon our hearts each time we come to the table, that this is a remembrance of what Christ has done as we engage in participating today, and might it be real to our heart, the body and blood of Christ. Paul would say, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me oh the glorious promise and the hope that we have in Christ for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Stand with me as we pray. Our Father, our hearts are overwhelmed as we hear the truth of your word proclaimed today. Lord, the hope that we have in Christ, the ability of our hearts to be settled in the midst of deep turmoil at times, rest in your care for us, in your wisdom, in your goodness. Lord, we know all things work together for good, for you alone are good. And so, Father, give us faith. Stir in our heart affections for you. Lord, deepen our trust in you. Might we rest in you this day because of who you are. Lord, might we recognize your hand of providence in all things in our lives. Father, help us to walk in that truth with the confidence that we can have in Christ. In his name, amen. Join me as we pray as Christ instructed our hearts. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. 
That's right to clap for that. I remember Sean, Greg, you'll remember this. He always wanted to spit the bit on that song. So slow, and he knew what was coming. And he just wanted to spit the bit and get to the chorus. <laughs> he loved that truth. This morning, brothers and sisters, let that truth settle in your hearts. Jesus Christ, he is your living hope this day. If you have questions about the gospel, if you have concerns that you would like us to pray for. Elders will be present up here after our gathering. Please come and uh, through our mask, we'll pray with you, we'll counsel you, we'll help you, we'll serve you to the best of our abilities. As we walk into 2021, 20 in our rearview mirror, my prayer for our church in this year, for the rest of our lives, what falls over us, God is at work. And his work in you is to bring all things together for your good. If you doubt that, pull your chin up and look at the cross. See there the evidence of God's love. For our final word this morning, benediction, Romans chapter 15. May the word of the Lord strengthen you as we prepare to depart. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and together we respond. Amen. Amen.